Hi, everyone. This is Katie Valentine, and welcome back to another episode of Magical Mystical Journeys. We are so happy you are here with us as we go on our roller coaster of a ride today, exploring some big energy. I will introduce that in just a moment. First, let us introduce ourselves. Again, I'm Katie Valentine. I'm your resident Christian minister and New Testament scholar and lover of all things woo-woo. And I'm joined by my wonderful co-host. So, Amy, why don't you introduce yourself next? Hi, everyone. I'm Amy Renee. I'm a practitioner of shamanic arts, and I'm super excited about today's episode. I am too. This is Andrea St. Amand. I'm an evidential psychic medium. Of course, I'm, I'm very much a lover of all things woo-woo, but I'm also really skeptical and, and love bringing things right down to earth. Speaking of earth, what a great segue, Andrea. Couldn't have asked for that to be better. So our guest for today is land, and we're talking about like big land energy. If you've ever walked into a new geography and kind of felt that you were immediately at home, or maybe that you were immediately a foreigner, then you'll know exactly what we're talking about. So today we are getting into all of those kind of topics, places that we have felt called to big phenomena like vortexes and gateways and portals and ley lines maybe ancestral and historical land, or maybe even that kind of land where you walked into and it felt familiar, but you had no idea why. Maybe you were there in a past life. We're not going to be talking about fairies or land spirits in this episode, but stay tuned. We will get to those in a future episode. And also this is kind of a two-part episode. So in the next one on land, we're going to get a little bit smaller, such as talking about the energy of a specific house, like maybe where you live or a specific building or historic site. Um, And in that future episode, we'll also discuss how sometimes energy can feel negative and what to do about that. But that's part two. Cool. All right. So we're, we're kind of talking really, really big energy for this particular episode. And I think this is so exciting because there's definitely places that I felt a lot of kinship to and then other places I've gone and I maybe expected to feel a kinship and I felt nothing at all and, and everything in between. So the land is talking and it seems in our pre, kind of pre-episode conversations, it feels like many of us have experienced that like land has personality. So let's just maybe start with an experience that we've all had where we felt connected to a particular place. Like what's a memory that stands out to you or maybe a place that you currently feel connected to? Who wants to uh, swing the bat first here? So for me, uh, I was called to connect with a mountain at the end of my shamanic apprenticeship. And of course, there's many, many mountains that exist all over the world. And the mountain that I felt most connected to, or almost like I just had to go there for some reason was Mount Shasta. And my very first experience that I had, just so many synchronicities, so much magic. It was like heaven on earth. And I've been, I've returned a couple times since then. And each time has been its own experience. And perhaps our listeners can relate. Maybe they've been to Mount Shasta somewhere and each time is, you know, it's its own, own experience, but each time is still magical in the ways it is. And this most recent time I experienced what felt like uh, the webbing of life, like spider webs all over the ground and then the trees, but they weren't, obviously they weren't spider webs. And as the sun came arose more and more it just disappeared and it's like even to this day there's just something that's like wow what was that but my heart is totally with Mount Shasta as that home away from home how about I know Katie I feel like you've had an experience there to yourself or maybe somewhere else. Yeah. I, so I used to live not far from Mount Shasta. I lived about an hour and a half away from it when I was in Chico. And it's a dominant feature in the landscape whenever you drive anywhere between where I lived in Chico and Redding and north of Redding. You can just see it for hundreds of miles. And on a very clear day, I could see it from the park near my, near my place, which was super, super cool. But you know, I only went there once. And so I feel like the time I went there, I, re- I connected. And I did this ridiculous hike and it was the anniversary of my ordination. And so I went, it was actually funny. So I went, I this hike started at 6,000 feet. And I think I only went up to 7,500 or 8,000, but in my mind, I was at like 15,000 feet. 
And I was, I, I didn't think I was going to make the last 200 feet. And I thought, oh, I should just turn around. I felt like I was about to pass out. And then these 80 year olds passed me, you know, quickly strolling on ahead. But I definitely connected with the energy of the place then. But it was a one time thing. Like, I don't like, I don't feel like it's a home, a home away from home that I need to go back to. But it's easy to see why people feel that way. That's so funny, Katie. I had the ex- same experience climbing Mount Fuji. I thought I was dying. I thought I was just dying. And like all these little old ladies were just trekking past me. <laughs> Girl, buckle up, buttercup. Come on, let's go. <laughs> yeah. For some it was their like daily exercise. They were and they're like encouraging me, you can do it, you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I made it eventually. <laughs> so funny. What about you, Andrea? Any places where you've walked into and connected with? I have two actually. Um, one, so I live in Charleston, South Carolina. I've lived here almost 30 years, 29 years this year. And I feel like I'm so like my feet have to be on the peninsula. And I feel like if I'm not living right downtown and I'm living in other, even other parts of town, like out in other surrounding areas, which might be closer to the beach, um, really cool spots. I literally feel like I'm a ghost haunting my own life. If I'm not downtown, like I, I just, my feet have to be on the ground here and I don't know why that's something I can't, I can't explain. Um, but I had a really interesting experience with Mount Snowden. It's funny. We're all mentioning mountains right now, but in Wales, uh, when I was in college, I did a study abroad in England and we got to travel to Wales and it wasn't just a connection with Wales. It was specifically Mount Snowden. When we arrived, I felt a sense of timelessness. I felt a real profound connection to the land and I needed to climb the mountain. And we just set off. We ignored a path. We just set off climbing to the top of Mount Snowden. And I couldn't really explain what I was feeling or what, like, I just couldn't understand this really profound connection to this place. And when I came home, I was telling my grandparents about it. And my granddad said, well, if you just come down the other side of the mountain, literally on Mount Snowden itself, he said, we still have a cousin that lives in that area. Wow. And I said, well, I had no idea we had any family in Wales. He said, are you kidding? Our whole family is from Wales, right from Mount Snowden. We only moved to England for one generation before coming to the United States. And how long ago was that? That was in college. So um, I was... 30 years ago. <laughs> I had just moved to it was probably 20, 20 some years ago. And how long ago did your family live there? We still have cousins there, but my direct lineage, my granddad's, my great grandparents came over from England. Okay. Um, but lived in it kind of bounced back and forth. So my granddad was the first person permanently here in the United States. But he still has first cousins. Like there's still a whole bunch of people right, right there. So we seem to be all having experiences, but I'm finding it's really hard for us to put them into words. Yeah. Right. Like we have feelings, we have experiences. Sometimes it's kind of this, this irresistible draw or a little bit of overwhelm or something like that. And it's really hard to explain. So listeners, if you've had the feeling, you know exactly what we're talking about. If you've never had the feeling, don't worry, your land will be calling you at some point in time. We're going to be able to direct you towards the end of the episode on maybe how to explore some of that. But definitely for me, you know, moving from California to to Ireland was was somewhat similar. Let's see. I had come to Ireland for the first time when I was 20 years old. I came three days before my 21st birthday. So I was 20 years old. And then I came back. I was here for a couple of months as a student. And then I came back for the second time in 2010. Yes, that's correct. In 2010. So it was quite a quite a bit later. And then uh, my spouse and I started visiting together about six or seven years ago. And we both felt connected to it. Again, I can't really tell you exactly why. Lots of synchronicities in between. But then we started exploring what it would be to live here. And we just we both felt drawn. We both liked the culture. But we, we liked the land a lot, too. Like something about the energy of the land. And even though it's a small island, there's a lot of different personalities to the land in different sections. Uh, in different sections of the island here. And so interestingly, we we landed in, like, haha, I did not mean to make that pun, but I just did. We landed in Clifton. Okay. So it's this village in the region called the Connemara. And 
our intention was to split time between here and the much, much bigger city of Galway. But everything we had planned for Galway fell through, like the original house we were supposed to buy there fell through in this kind of disaster after like six months. And then we bought another house and we were intending on splitting time there. And then our dog died. And the main reason we wanted to be there was for the backyard. So we thought, why not rent it? We're, we're in sort of in no immediate need. And so we kind of keep on getting pushed back to the Connemara. So this really particular uh, part of the land. And I think had we been in Galway in the bigger city, we would have really liked it. It has a lot of things going for it. We would not have connected or I would not have connected so deeply with the energy of the land here. And so in some ways, I feel like the land was calling me home. And I don't know whether this will be permanent home or long-term or temporary, you know, I don't know what it is, but I'm right now I'm exploring this land of the Connemara as an ancestor, like an ancestor and a friend. And it's, it's pretty big energy. It's pretty cool energy. I like how that was a slow burn for you. It It wasn't like the first time you landed in Ireland, you're like, this is where I have to be. It's this village. It was, it was just slowly pulling you. Yeah. And, direction. and we were resisting. Cause like when the house fell through, we were, ah, you know, we were, <laughs> we were grumbling, grumbling about it. And, uh, and, and now I can kind of recognize that I can see the humor in it. Uh, so we were being called to be right here, at least for this season. Wonderful. Okay. So we've all had some experiences of being drawn to a particular um, home away from home, particular space. I ran, I ran the real risk of when I made Ireland my home, making my vacation home away from home, my actual home. But so far, it's been okay. So far, it's been really good. Um, I'm curious, Amy, would you ever move to Mount Shasta, like to that area? You know, that's such a great question. I don't know that it feels like it's the space for me to move to. I feel that where I'm at, at least for right now. There, because I'm in the heartland area, uh, Kansas City, it's really the heart of the U.S. in a sense. And there's something about being here that feels that this is exactly where I'm meant to be, at least for now. And yes, there is almost like that pilgrimage aspect for Mount Shasta. And as we were talking, I was also reminded because my dad was in the Navy, so I've lived many different places. And another one that just really stuck with me that I feel that was the most joyful for me was Key West, Florida. So even there, like if I thought about what I moved there, what I lived there, there's part of me that loves these places, but I feel that where I'm at right now, this, this is where I'm meant to be. I'm curious, how about you two, the places that you've experienced, like compared to where you are right now? Yeah. I always feel when I'm outside of Charleston, like I'm missing it, you know, cause I've thought we've, we always, we always think about just for fun, just for the mental imaginative exercise of it, of like, what if we just moved to Seattle or, or San Francisco or just Europe, what, you know, anything, how would that feel? And, or do we want to move to the mountains? And I always just feel like I need, I need to be in, I need to be right where I am. Cause I'll, I'll just, I'll, there will be a, an aspect of me, some piece of my soul. Literally, I feel like there will be some piece of my soul left here when I'm not living here. Mm. So I think what we're saying is bringing something to mind for me. And I'm curious if I, if I run it by you all, what you think, which is there's the energy of the land of the earth itself. And I feel like there's different personalities. Like the Connemara has a different personality than other parts of Ireland. Um, I lived in several, I lived in two places in California and Berkeley and then in Chico. And they had really, the land has really different personalities. They are different topography, but then urban environments have their own energy too, which is probably connected to the land, but also, you know, humans create that, that urban energy or that town energy or the village energy or whatever it may be. And so I've lived in Chicago. I lived in Berkeley. I lived in Chico. I lived in Washington, DC. Um, as an adult. And then I grew up in Shreveport in Louisiana and they all have, you know, the cities all have their own distinct personalities too. But that to me feels different from the land itself. Am I onto something or am I reading too much into it? Yeah, I totally agree. Spot on. Yeah, absolutely. There is something to that, you know, the connection of the community, but then if you go out, if you go out of the community and connect to like more of a rural area, 
to me, there's almost like a pureness that I experience. Same. So when we're in the energy or when I am in the energy of like a city, because I feel that there are influences, you know, um, each human has their own energetic field, right? And then there's like a collective energetic field that's there. And when I give myself the space or the time to, I'm going to say, move out of the busyness of the city, that go, 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 do, do energy, because that's, that's very common, especially in big cities. And I allow myself that space to be in nature where there's more solitude. There's more of a calm and the air smells different. The sounds of nature are completely different from the sounds of a city. And I find that when I am in more of a nature type of environment, that I'm able to find that stillness and to connect to the land in a different kind of a way. It's more of like a receiving and a listening that's easier, if that makes sense. And you know, there's plenty of people out there who feel exactly the opposite. They actually feel really energized and very connected with their own heart and soul when they're in Manhattan. You know, they just really feel that connection with themselves and humanity when they're in a big city. Yeah. And I feel like, because Charleston's an urban area, but it's very small, you know, Um, but I feel like if I have to get in my car just to go get coffee or something, it makes me insane. It absolutely makes me insane. So I know I have to be able to, I need to be in enough of an urban environment where I can walk everywhere. I can walk to the grocery store. I can walk to get, and that's, that's like that urban plus my feet are hitting the ground all the time. I actually sometimes feel disconnected if I'm in the wrong city environment Ooh. or the wrong sub like suburban environment. Cause I too lived in Chicago, DC, spent a whole bunch of time in San Francisco. Um, but yeah, it's all, it's all different. Yeah. So we're influenced by, you know, all the energies around us, community, people, uh, the energy of the land itself and those you know, it's constantly changing. It's constantly alive. They all have their own personalities. And I feel like every city has its own personality as well. And maybe, maybe we can start to look at now the things that like connect all of these places. Like if the earth has this uh, grid or a sacred geometry that's in it, that's a really popular topic that I run across a lot. We talk about like ley lines and vortexes um, gateways, portals, all sorts of things like that. So wh- what direction do we want to go first? Which one of those is cap- is capturing um, you? Which Have you, either one of you had experiences with that part of land energy? I would just say something that's striking me is just, you know, historically towns and cities come up on waterways that are easier for farming. You know, there's, there's like a, a real practical reason why certain cities develop the way they do. And it usually has something to do with water and literally the land, like the farmland around or what was grown there. Clean water and and soil are really good for humans. Yes. 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 (laughs) But there is something to me about how energy can really move through moving bodies of water, the ocean rivers, any sort of tidal thing there that I think is very specific. I'm very sensitive to it's like, what's the water and what's, how is energy um, moving? there but then that that's that's taking to the next to me that the next step is well the waterways are in certain places for a reason is there something electromagnetic with the earth is there what is this ley line i did either one of you by the way um know what a ley line is or what it's supposed to be anybody got a good definition because i'm positive our listeners a bunch of our listeners don't know or may have never heard of it before well, I see a little editorial note that someone smart put in our in our document here. And Andrew, I think that was you. Um, <laughs> these were first theorized in 1921. So I'm not claiming credit for having known that. Although I, I think, yeah, I, I knew that it was a more recent kind of terminology. But the I don't. This is not an official definition. But my understanding of ley lines are that they are the invisible to our naked eye lines that connect energetic nodes on mm. the earth. And those nodes may be marked with ancient sites, or they may be marked with a city, or they may just be felt energy. 
and that you can, I've, I've actually looked at different maps because I wanted to see if one went through the region where I'm living now. And yeah, there's like a thousand different maps of them. Um, and so that's right. my understanding of ley lines. I don't know. Am I on the mark, off the mark? What's y'all's understanding of them? I'm not super familiar with them myself. Yeah. It's something that's pretty, um, I know of the energetic lines and what was coming through to me is, yeah, there's like a crossing of these, these lines that exist, you know, in the earth. What's it's almost like if our cells of our body, you know, if you think of the earth as a bigger body, in a sense, it's the same thing. It's like different cells that are connecting one another is what comes up for me. Andrea, what was coming through you? There is a theory um, that birds and their migration patterns follow invisible electromagnetic lines. So could that be the same thing as a ley line? You know, same with like turtles when they're migrating, it's pretty, it's really magical that big sea turtles return to the same place they were born to give, to get to lay their own nest, but they migrate over thousands and thousands of miles. And they're not just simply following a current, like they're following some navigational pull that they have in them. So I feel like there has to be something there energetically that is that's, that's real. That's not just a woo woo theory. There has to be more going on with the earth that, that we do respond to that pull. Well, you know, our, the electro, the magnetic field that surrounds the earth is, is pretty amazing. And most planets don't have that. What? Yeah. Like Wait, the, what? I know that. So yeah, the magnetic field that's, that, um, surrounds the earth is like it, I, I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not a scientist y'all, but I, uh, I think that it's what like keeps our atmosphere in like it gives us a breathable oh. atmosphere and because our because the core of the planet has a lot of metals in it that's what allows us to have this magnetic field that surrounds mm. the earth like without that we would be much more bombarded than we are like our planet would not be so sustainable so th- we do have electromagnetic energies absolutely um running running throughout the earth so it's a little bit like when we talk about the goldilocks principle of habitable yeah. planets it's one thing that makes the earth very special and able to support life like we know it now. But I do have a ley line story. Okay, so y'all, I, this is gonna come as a huge surprise. You know, I like Bridget. <laughs> I have this connection with Bridget. So I know both, all three of us do. And so I have this connection with Bridget and um, she is explored in episode one of season two. And so a couple of months or many months ago now, like eight months ago or so, I got to go to Kildare, which is was the site where Bridget established her double monastery back in the day. And it, there's an older um, site to, to the goddess Bridget there too. And it was still high. We were high in COVID lockdown around Ireland. And I went there actually to go pick up my heart from the Dublin airport. And so I spent the night, Kildare is just about an hour away. So I went to go and spend the night in Kildare. And it just happened synchronous, synchronistically that I was there during heritage week. So the cathedral the Bridget Cathedral just happened to be open for like the first time in a year and a half since COVID had um, had hit Ireland. And they had it open during Heritage Week. So no visitors had really gotten to walk around the cathedral. So I'm walking around the cathedral. We didn't get to go inside, but in the, in the land outside. And as I was um, a very nice gentleman that worked for the Heritage Society was uh, guiding me around. So we're walking around the cathedral and I don't know, I could just feel this energy as we were getting closer and closer and closer. And then we arrived at this spot. He said, well, this was the old fire temple to the goddess Bridget. And it was where the flame, the eternal flame was kept alight. And it was, that was the one that was relit in 1992. And is now it got transferred to a new center, uh, Bridget center. That's a, a mile or two away. And I just felt all this energy near this old fire temple. And he said, oh, yeah, there's a ley line that runs right from that hill over there, which is another sacred site through here and then pointed off to another sacred site nearby. So he kind of took a gamble on me that I would be OK with like this ley line energy. And I said, well, I can feel that. And he said, OK, like only women are allowed to go in the fire temple so you can go in. I can't. And now it's like a square. It used to be a circle. I actually didn't go in. I didn't feel like it was my the right opportunity. Uh, for me to enter that threshold of that land, but like the energy of the land is like strong. I mean, it's strong everywhere there, but it's strong right there, like at mm-hmm. the fire temple. And so according to the nice gentleman from Heritage Week, this is, there's a ley line right there. That's so cool. 
Yeah, I, I checked um, a few maps too and saw that they're just like, they're everywhere. So <laughs> there, I have a, a, not a similar story, but some of it maybe the first time I ever heard of ley lines, uh, I was in Lilydale and Lilydale is a long established spiritualist community. And what's fascinating about it, there's a bunch of psychic mediums there now, but what's fascinating is the history of that space and that land. People were really called outside the cities uh, to these camps in upstate New York around the lakes, but like way back in the 1800s, uh, men, very educated men were taking their wives out there in order to educate them because when women weren't really allowed or wasn't deemed proper to be as formally educated as your husband, um, the, a lot of these uh, intellectual men wanted smart wives. <laughs> so there, these camps formed and and they were like free thinker camps. So a lot of the women's rights movements came out of that. Susan B. Anthony, uh, there's a picture of her there surrounded by men protecting her with guns. Like it's just, this was like a place that kept drawing people to consider new ideas and progressive thinking. And then at some point, somebody said a ley line runs through here. So that's always begged the question to me, which came first. You know, was was there a natural draw to the from the energy of the earth that was pulling free thinkers and progressive thinkers to this site, or because that you know the human activity was putting that energy in the land, then that energy just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and sort of self-sustaining, and then enhanced human act activity. Hey, that's a great question. I don't have the answer. And I, I got to think it's a little bit of both and, and maybe it's different de depending on what site. Yeah. But here in Ireland, so I love to go megalithic hunting. So if there's a stone circle and I can find it on a map and I don't have to walk through like thistles to get there, I'll go, I'll go see it. I've, and I'm, I'm, it's not always a win. I don't always find the things I'm looking for, but I, I often go find wells, um, usually dedicated to a saint, but often much older in um, offerings and stone circles, stuff like that. And some still have a lot of energy around them and some don't. Oh, wow. Like some are nice memorials and some are kind of alive. Mm, and cool. I don't always have a reason of why. Is Katie, do you find the same with the stone circles? Cause that might lead us into a conversation about vortexes and are stone circles vortexes or can they be, or what do you guys think about vortexes? And, and obviously about Outlander. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bringing all my favorite things together. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll go. I, I love to go see stone circles. But do you feel, do you always feel an energy in stone circles or is it the same thing? Some are more alive. No, than same. Others. Like some are, yeah. Some, some feel very alive and vibrant and some feel like they're kind of quiet now. Like a little, hmm. they're, they're kind of. Do you think stone circles are, are portals or vortexes I've, and portals, the same thing? What do you guys think? I've not yet met an, an ancient, handsome stranger. In a stone circle, not yet, but we'll see. <laughs> Amy, to educate us. What are we? What do we need to know? Yeah. So to me, they're different. Uh, there's definitely a vortex to me that's created. Like you can even take um, a drawing compass and draw a circle with intention, and draw another circle without any intention. And there's a felt difference. And to me, sometimes you can feel that pull of of that circle so to me there is a vortex that's created even the water veins of the earth there's vortexes all along them and so whenever i do um earth acupuncture that's one thing i'm looking for i'm feeling for where is that clean energy so to me there's definitely a difference there's an energy that's created but they're slightly different and I can't, I don't know that I can put, you know, into words exactly how they are different. And I feel that it's a matter of experiencing it yourself and really tapping into your, your truth and asking what I call spirit or life. Show me what I need to know around this. What comes up for either of you? You had me at earth acupuncture. What was that? <laughs> Yeah. So, um, kind of like our human bodies, right. You've heard of an acupuncturist, right. And it's like, to me, it's a way of, uh, working with the energy of the body. Sometimes it's releasing energy. Sometimes it's clearing it. Um, 
So say for example, there is a neighborhood that has a lot of, um, I don't want to judge it as negative, but uh, maybe like a, a lower vibrational aspect going on. If I find I can fill it into, I do uh, what I call body dowsing. And I find that water vein in the earth to find the good spots. And I put a simple bamboo stick on each side of the water vein to bring in that clear energy. Because if I do a bamboo stick in each of those spots, what I'm doing is I'm cleaning the energy up, so to speak. So it helps to harmonize the energy of the space in the ways it does. And so I'm working with the vortexes around the water veins because there's dirty vortexes too, right? It's kind of like if you think about electricity, you know, and where you plug in your computer or whatever, that's in a sense, that's not necessarily the cleanest energy, but it's still energy nonetheless. Well, the same thing, water veins have good energy throughout them and they also have what's considered dirty energy. So it's really a matter of tapping into where is that clean energy to help bring in more of that clean energy energy to the neighborhood. So vortexes are everywhere. Wait, I need to, what's, I need a definition. What's a, what is a vortex? Whenever I think of a vortex, it makes me think of like, um, kind of like a tornado or when you like swirl your water, how it like does, or when you let the drain out, if you have a bathtub full of water and you let the drain out, there's like, it's a swirling of energy, so to speak, at least that's what it is for me. And I kind of feel like I want to invite each of you to tap into what is a vortex to you? What does that even mean to you or our listeners? Katie, what's coming up for you? Nothing. Like I hear the word vortex and I'm, you know, I mean, I I think I always picture like some kind of that swirling energy, but like what it, I don't know what it is or what it does. Yeah. For me, it was the swirling. I think of like that an invisible tornado kind of going around that I hadn't thought about it, that clearly that's circular. So, so you can draw a circle with intent, which is what any sort of any good witch will draw a circle, right? Um, there's a lot of spell casting you can do in a good circle with intention, or even just a gathering of people getting into a circle. I think that creates a zingy uh, energy, but I think too, you know, Sedona is such a famous place for all these vortexes and some of them you're supposed to, I guess you stand in the circle or in it and you can start and it's huge. It's not like it's one spot. I mean, they're really large, but you, some are for healing, some are for uh, re-energizing. I think they all have different purposes. Okay. So it's an energetic dust devil. Yes. It's an energetic dust devil that can vary in size and can be clean. Clean, high vibration energy, medium high vibration energy, or low vibration energy. Sure. Why not? Yeah. That why not? <laughs> concrete tactile. Okay. For those of us that need that, there we go. All right. Continue the education. Who else has been to Sedona though? Just curious. Have you guys I ever been? Not. I, that was a place where I got nothing. Nothing. Wow. Nothing. No and I don't know. They me. just, no, we were standing. We were like, I was ready to stand on my head, like do anything, <laughs> <laughs> but that was, they just had pretty massive wildfires. And so a lot of the land was unstable mm-hmm. and we could like, they were concerned about mountains collapsing. And so there were a lot of places that were actually just not safe to go to. Um, and then there was also like, as soon as we arrived, Sedona's very small. It's a very small place. and the biggest tour buses I have ever seen in my life and like 10, 15, 20 of them all pulled in at once and literally thousands of people got out and started swarming. So that might've had something to do with my experience of the vortexes too out there. But I was told later, I, I, I never thought that that was, um, that energy was something that could show up everywhere. I thought it was just in one or two places in the earth. So Amy, when you said, wow, no, it's literally there are nodes that are everywhere that's fascinating to me because there are, there's one place in Charleston that's always felt particularly sacred and quiet right in the middle of the city. And I had a client come in. She's like, Oh, it's cause there's vortex there. Duh. And I was like, Oh, okay. It just feels like a very peaceful, quiet sanctuary right in the middle of the hustle. Yes. And bustle. Cool. yes. Yeah, exactly. 
So Amy, you tap into vortexes when you do earth acupuncture. So if you look at the land itself, um, at least where I'm at in the Midwest, uh, during the summertime, it gets pretty freaking dry. But there's always like a spot that is very lush and green. That's a way that you can actually see physically. You know, to me, that's what I call the heart energy or like a good energy. And I want to go stand in that energy because it feels good. It feels clean. But there's also other areas that you can go stand in that maybe they're super dry or, um, you know, uh, yeah, that's we'll just go with dry. And that's going to bring about a whole completely different feeling in my body. So that's a super great way to connect with the energy of the earth, to connect with these vortexes that just naturally are. I mean, why does a tree grow where it does or something energetically there or a plant, the wild plants, like there's something energetically that gives them permission to thrive in that specific spot. Cool. All right. I'm, I'm sure I've, I'm sure I've sensed them before. I just, you know, haven't ever called it that. Yeah. I'm curious, Amy, do you, what do you feel in your body? Do you feel like a, you know, a presence that is literally like 360 all the way around you? Or do you feel a pull? Like, what do you feel? Oh yeah. And how big, how big are they? <laughs> it, to me, it depends on, you know, the area, the energy, um, I feel like there's different sizes for me. I don't know that I describe it, that it's all the way around me. To me, it's more about tapping into my core, right? Straight up from your feet to the top of your head. I'm going to say actually below your feet, above your head, but that core center of me is what allows me to really tap in and tune in and to feel the energy of that specific spot no matter where it is. So it's more of a direct, like we're talking about ley lines, right? And if you think of a ley line, a line period, a line is more like direct. It's like a direct energy. But when you have two ley lines that cross, that's where you'll have like a vortex of energy, right? Mm. There's, there's something, there's something that something about that crossing that that significant in some way, shape or form. And I kind of feel like I'm a baby in certain ways when it comes to this knowledge. I know that there's other people that have so much more knowledge out there, but I'm just sharing the basics of what's come into my life and my awareness to help give others something to, to play with, to consider, to explore for themselves. All right. All right. So we've explored some big land, energy, personality, the land, ley lines, vortexes, portals. Anyone have any, any insight into portals? And do we have a definition for that? I do. Okay. <laughs> of course, take it with a grain of salt. If it doesn't resonate with you. <laughs> <laughs> but I think portals are a really great way of really, um, really actually thinking about an energetic doorway. And sometimes I think we can create those for ourselves. Like when you're walking through the doorway of a sanctuary, whatever sanctuary means for you, because it's literally getting your mind into a different state of being. I mean, think about dreams, dreams are portals into your subconscious, right? But what's fascinating to me, I just read, there's some great scientists and psychotherapists um, who, are, who are science-based who do a lot of work with hypnosis and put clients into like a, a, a where they're accessing you know, the spirit world, the, the life between lives. And when you get somebody who's worked with thousands and thousands and thousands of people over decades, and everybody kind of says the same thing without knowing what each other's saying, you get some interesting, you know, things that probably resonate deeply with us and some interesting truths. So um, a lot of times people will talk about portals, that there is an inner, there are energetic portal ways that allow energy to uh, travel among dimensions. And it makes it easier to just sort of, I don't know, they're like, they're like spiritual highways. Kind of can't, it's hard to get our head around it. I like that. Are, are they location specific or are they wandering? You know, probably to our human brains, I bet they're going to get interpreted into our conscious mind as location specific, but do they, would they have to be if you're not incarnate? I wouldn't think so. I need more. 
So the portal, (laughs) I kind of understand, but I kind of don't. So the portal itself is the interdimensional wormhole. I was thinking of like a doorway. Yeah. Like a wormhole. Yeah. A wormhole. But between dimensions, and that's where like spiritual info or just information, some of which may be spiritual in nature, can flow. Yeah. But I also think spaces can be portals for us. I think physical 3D spaces. Think about people who love going to a specific church or a specific sanctuary, whatever that is, and they're walking into a 3D real space and they get transported. You know, you transport it into your higher self. You're transported into a safe, just a safe, sacred space in and of yourself. I think that's the portal. Yeah. And definitely, I think definitely repeated human experience, particularly when it's on the higher vibration end of it, um, can make it easier for us to, to access sacred space, which is, in my experience, very location specific. And so I know we had talked about ideas like pilgrimages, mm. like people that visit the same sacred space over and over and over. And does, is that, and so I think we're kind of back to the chicken and egg question. Is it the human repeated human activity that makes that space sacred or was it a sacred space that humans were drawn to and are they building on each other? And so do either one of you have like kind of pilgrimage spaces where you're, you're not the only one who finds it um, to be a, um, to be a land energy, but you're there with others who also consider that? Like, I guess Sedona could kind of be one. Shasta, Mount Shasta might kind of be one. Are there others? What comes up for me as we're speaking about this is if you think about Stonehenge, right? And based on what's come into my life around these sacred spaces, like some of them are... um, built by man with a certain intention or a certain way. So you find that good energy, kind of like what we were talking about earlier of where is that vortex of energy that feels good. And then there's like an expanding of that energy. That's like creating something even larger or bigger than us, which can end up being a portal of sorts, you know? And then there's something energetically that I'm going to say is within us, that's calling us, speaking to us, drawing us in to these spaces. Cause there's something there for us, something that we need. So I feel like it's a little bit of both. Do you have a, do you have an example of a place you've been? I haven't been to, um, I don't know that I can say that I've been to a place like Stonehenge or uh, a sacred ancient site yet. But whenever I hold up an image or I see an image, I can tap into the energy of those spaces and fill it. And I've also had a past life experience of being a stone on the land of like where Stonehenge would be or somewhere sacred like that. It was like way before like humans even existed, which I know might be a little weird, but um no we've only been around as a species like not that long okay okay yeah like a hundred thousand years i think so but that even that so like when we tap into like past life experiences or whatnot like that to me that is in a sense the portal you know so they don't always have to be physical because i feel like part of what a shaman does with the client is we're creating a sacred space and like whether it be drumming or whatnot it's the inner landscape that we get to go explore. And that by itself, in a sense, is a portal as well into higher states, states of consciousness, into altered states of beingness to reach those higher states of consciousness. Well, I recently went to Iona, which is a little island in the Inner Hebrides in Scotland. Very remote. Very long to get to. So. From Clifton, just one way, two buses, an airplane, a bus, a train, a ferry, a bus, a ferry. And then I landed on Iona. So that, that's how remote we're talking here. They do have internet though, and, and really good uh, scones on Iona. But Iona is a, it broke away from the mainland so long ago, it's a different fossil record. Ooh. 
it has a different fossil record. So the energy there is like people get drawn to it. So it definitely, like, I feel like this one little island and it's only three miles long is kind of encapsulating a lot of what we're talking about. And so it has its own land energy. Like it has its own personality um, for sure. It's also a pilgrimage site and it certainly has pre-Christian um, elements there. And there, certainly people were coming there probably as a sacred site and to pre-Christian things that have been Christianized now. But St. Columb, St. Columba came from Ireland. And this was the first island that he got to that he couldn't see Ireland from. And so a monastery was established there. And pilgrims have been coming to the island for monastic pilgrimages and you know, sacred as a sacred site ever since. Um, so there was a um, Columbine monastery there for a long time. All the monks were actually killed in a Viking raid in the 10th century. And then it became a Benedictine monastery. When Henry VIII dissolved the monasteries, all the Catholic monasteries, it went into ruin and then got reestablished as a Christian ecumenical site, um, like about a hundred years ago. And so there's this energy of repeated pilgrims coming there, but literally when you're on, when you're on the Island, you're on some of the oldest rock in on planet earth. Really, really ancient. And then other parts of the island are really new rock. So it's got mm. all this like really cool contrasting energy um, that's there. You know, so that's, you know, is it the land itself? I think it is. But then there's also repeated human activity with these pilgrims coming over and over and over again, partly to experience this amazing energy. And when I think about people coming there before like modernized boats, oh my gosh, it was a trip. It was a trek. You had to be really dedicated. To make it. You know, what's striking me is what we're talking about through pilgrimages and port the concept of portals. We're talking about transporting. We're talking about travel, moving. And so sometimes I think we have to move out of our everyday environments in order to have that portal way access to our higher states of consciousness. But there's some that's the everything we're talking about is movement. It's movement. And I think too, when, when we forget to connect with the land beneath our feet, that humans get in a lot of trouble. We forget, we, we, we can become very disconnected from our, from our roots, from our, um, from our ancestry, from people who inhabited land before we did as well. It makes us very forgetful. So I know for yes. me, it's just, it's so painful if I, when I walk down the street and see litter all mm. over like a beautiful landscape. It just, it like physically causes me pain. And I just, when, when humans do that and it's not like I've never littered, you know, I've, I've been disconnected from the land before too, but that it makes us not, it makes us not care about that or think that we're, we're in charge of the land when it should be the other way around as well. So we, you know, we also have the experience too, of the land being um, the human relationship to the land can get very distorted. One of the things we were had mentioned before we started recording, and I think this is getting us there, is the concept of the promised land or the concept of conquering land versus stewardship. And Katie, do you want to talk, speak into that? Yeah, I can speak into it a little bit. So especially when we're looking at Judeo-Christian kind of concepts of land, the, the theme of the land is a running running through and throughout the, the entire Old Testament for sure. And then some into the New Testament too, where the Jewish people are promised the land. And this gets really, really complicated in, in current politics with like Palestinian rights and um, Jewish having an ancestral homeland that got turned into a, into a nation state in 1948. Um, so I, we're not going to get into all of that. But I think a misreading of scripture is like the, the conquest of the land versus stewardship and dominion of the land. And when we enter into the relationship of like conquest and that we can do whatever we want with the land, well, humans can, because we do have agency. We're smart enough to, um, we're smart enough to do whatever we want with the land, but that's um, that it kind of destruction of either people and culture or of actual land, I think is actually detrimental, you know, to human thriving um, as well. And so, and condensing like 4,000 years of, um, culture into, into a couple of broad statements there. But I think, I do think that that, um, like that kind of mentality of conquering influences us and, and probably deserves a second, kind of a second look at. And so, but that, 
Um, but there, there, there is a lot of kind of Christian idea that we can we can conquer the land. And also just, I hope this isn't too much of an aside, in very evangelical Christian circles, there's the idea that, well, Jesus is coming back at any moment anyway, so none of this really matters. We can pollute the land all we want because it's not, the earth isn't going to be here in the same way. Like God's going to take care of all of this. That's that's a total misreading of the book of Revelation, which is actually a book of hope, not of destruction. And so I think there's ways to, that, that's a misreading in my opinion, but that is a prominent theme out there. And I have heard people actually say that to me. You're bringing this right, really right into the modern era with particularly where we live. We're right on the water. There's a lot of waterfront, a lot of creeks and streams, not just the ocean, but um, the idea of developing, you know, you can just fill in all the wetlands and you can develop and develop and develop right on the coast. And it is raising these issues of, you know, conscientiousness just because we can develop something. Should we? Well, to me, like if everything was made perfect in the ways it was like, who are we to go in and say that it's not perfect or to apply what we want or so to speak, think we need, you know, cause there is creating an imbalance of it, of all the little tiny creatures that you may not even be able to see. Like that is their home. That is their landscape. That is their connection, you know? And we spoke earlier of like the ley lines and I believe it was a book, uh, braiding sweet grass that came into my life. And as I was reading that, there's a section in there that talks about like these little animals. I don't know. Is it the frogs? I think it was the frogs. And they always follow these like lines, so to speak. And so as they're going across the road, you know, here we are, man, making roads, you know, these little creatures are just trying to, you know, get to the other side, so to speak. And here they are getting crushed. They're just doing that. And so to really be conscious and aware of how every Thing we do as humans, the impact on the greater aspect of life. Because in the long run, without these little tiny things that we may not even think of, that actually is part of our survival. It is part of us thriving. So as we give, to really give in a sacred way, to open us up to receive in the way that's aligned, kind of like, I'm going to say how some of our ancestors lived, like the Indians, the indigenous of the land. Everything was so important. They woke up every morning giving an offering that being tuned in, receiving of the land, doing for the land, using every single aspect of, you know, if it was an animal, like there was so many purposes that came out of that versus nowadays, you know, there's a lot of people who are into crystals. Oh, I'm going to go mine a crystal. No, there's a disconnection there. We ask permission first. If it's a yes, then receive. But if it's a no, leave it be. Yeah. Amy, thank you so much for that. And yeah, I think I don't have we don't have the solution to our environmental crisis, but I think certainly the more tuned in we all are individually to the land and um, the big land, the small lands that we that we walk on, the more conscientious we can become around that. Um, and here I do love where I live now because it's uh, I can walk almost everywhere. Like you like you were saying, Andrea, it's, it's really lovely. I only get in the car like two or three times a week um, these days, which has been really nice um, bonus of living here. So what about um, lands that kind of capture our dreams and our imagination that may or may not be quote unquote real in our, in our 3D lives? So we, the kind of energy of land that may run throughout human imagination and dreams. Anyone have any insight into that or any special mythical, mystical, magical lands that you visit? Such as Atlantis, the idea that that there, I, I actually don't know much about Atlantis and it's not something that's called me, but I know it really, there are people who have a significant, almost physical connection to this land or this place that may or may not have ever existed on our earth. And I think that's fascinating. Do you have, do you all have like special places that you go in meditation or in dreams? And now that I say that in my, um, when I do visualize meditations, I do kind of have a, 
like the space looks the same. It changes a little bit like with the seasons, but it's, you know, kind of like a temple area that's in my, in my imagination. And I don't know if it's reflecting some dimensional reality or not, or if I'm creating it either way, uh, it's a place that I go to. I have found in my dreams over the last maybe 10 or 20 years, I repeatedly have dreams of my grandparents' home and that it changes, but it's somehow that's come to symbolize to me a safe space or some like maybe like a interdimensional dreamland train station. Like, I don't know, but those are always where my most lucid, amazing dreams happen. And then the second place, and I'm always so excited when I land there in my dreams is like a very ancient city that's in ruins, but, but romantic ruins, not like falling down and decay. It's like, there's no roofs on any of the buildings and the streets are all cobblestoned and they're like stone, really beautiful buildings. I can't, but I, I, it's a repeated place that I go to in my dreams. And I know like, Ooh, I'm here. Cool stuff's going to happen. <laughs> if you have a place like that. Not quite that specific. What about you, Amy? Yeah. What comes up for me? There's a lot of times that, um, in a home that I've lived in before there's, a lot that comes up with that. So that safe aspect, when I meditate, um, a big part of what I create for myself that helps me to create the environment, that sacred space that I, I like to be in to allow that feel safe, right? And nourishing is nature. Typically there is, you know, water, whether it be a stream that's running through, and the birds chirping and just lush life is always a big part of that for me. But that's, that's basically the only thing that comes up for me in relation with this part of the topic. Yeah. I would be very curious if any of our listeners have a connection to a mythical space, something like Atlantis or something I don't even, I haven't even heard of. Yeah. Y'all write in and tell us, um, I, I know a little bit about Atlantis, but I don't have any really particular connection other than just kind of Histor- historical uh, imagination around it. Although I have a good theory that Ireland could be Atlantis. Because I because it was mentioned in Plato. But it's is probably like I do know enough about it to say that probably in the ancient, like if I put in my scholarly hat for a moment, it's like an imagined land that Plato is using to give an example about government. He's not saying it was a real space. If for him it's he's kind of like creating this as a, you know, once upon a time in a land far away uh, um, kind of place. So ah, who knows? is that, is that where our first mention of Atlantis comes from? It comes I believe from so. Plato? Oh, that's fascinating. Plato may have gotten it from someone else, mm-hmm. but we don't, we don't, we no longer have those texts. And like, literally that's as much as I know. Those texts sunk when Atlantis sunk. Exactly. <laughs> yes. They got destroyed, <laughs> but I have read, I have read in past life regression, like pretty cool. Um, Atlantis experiences that people have had. So enough. So if, even, even if it's a name, maybe, you know, I kind of think too, that maybe people are giving whatever that land was the name Atlantis, because it's known to us, mm. whether or not it really was Atlantis or not, but there's something to all those, you know, an ancient, an ancient advanced civilization on earth, who knows? Uh, pretty cool. Well, I feel like we've kind of circled, um, we're kind of ready to circle the wagons. We've covered a lot here with this kind of energy, a little bit of a um, a different kind of direction for this episode, which has been really, really fun. But, you know, we're so lucky among us that we have Amy Renee, who does earth acupuncture and is going to guide us in an invitation uh, to connect with the land. So Amy, take it away. Yeah, thank you so much. So I'm just going to invite our listeners and all of us to close our eyes for a moment. And if you're driving, by all means, do not <laughs> do not do that. Wait till you are in a safe place to do this. But to close your eyes and to first tap into your heart. Just notice your breath. And on your next in-breath, Breathe in that clean, clear, crystalline energy of the earth, of the land of where you are right now. 
giving gratitude for this very moment of being alive. And just notice what you notice within your being. What the energy of the land feels like to you. Of where you are. You might ask, land, is there something that you want me to know? Just notice what comes up for you. Maybe it's images. Maybe it's words. Maybe it's the sounds, the sacred song of life. Maybe ask the land if there's anything that she needs from you, that she would like from you. Just be open to receive. So this practice the stillness that's taken place today. I invite you to do this in other places. Maybe it's by water, a water source. Maybe it's an, under a tree, or maybe you have a place that brings you joy. Go there, connect with that. The idea, the point is to really allow this to be a practice in your life in the ways that feel right to you. When you're ready, open your eyes. Thank you all. Awesome. Thank you, Amy. Would you experience, Andrea, anything to share from your meditation? I love practicing, like looking at this as a practice. Um, and I love doing that with the land. There are specific spots I go to at least once a week, multiple times a week, you know, at different spots. So Amy, I'm glad you articulated that because there's a park and there's the beach and then there's the trees outside my own yard that I connect with. And I just love like having, having that to be part of my daily practice as being conscious of the land and what's around you. It's really, I invite everybody to go on that journey because it's really, really meaningful and special. Yeah. It was fun to connect to the land beneath me. Cause I live now I live in an apartment, a condo apartment. And so the land beneath me is like several floors and through a grocery mm. store, we live above a grocery store, which is wildly convenient. Um, for where I am, but it's like near the river and near, you know, like all this, the sacred landscape that I moved to. So that was, yeah, it was fun just to tap in and to, con- I mean, I felt I, nothing like super specific with the meditation, but just the, the invitation to keep on exploring land as ancestor. Yeah. So when you're feeling the floor, oh, sorry, you mean, go ahead. Go I was going to be yeah. something snide. <laughs> when you're feeling the floor beneath your feet, Katie, did you land in like the chocolate aisle or <laughs> the bakery? I think <laughs> I think the deli is beneath us because it's pretty warm here, <laughs> even though there's an apartment in between us, but it's very insulated here. So I'm not sure. <laughs> like yeah, I don't I have it. to go outside if it's bad weather. I can go through the garage Wonderful. to get to the grocery store. It's It's really convenient. <laughs> such a good point too. Like when we are, you know, we have different layers and levels under us to go completely through all that, to get to the heart, to get to the core of really the land and that connection of it. And I feel like a big part of it is play too. play with the land and whatever ways we're being called to. We miss out on that sometimes. So anyways, awesome ladies. Thank you. This has been fun. I did a sneaky little Google about the um, magnetic field of the earth. So can I give a little PS to this after we sign off today? Yeah. So we're going to give our farewells, but if you want the little PS, just stay till the very, very end. So um, thank you everyone for joining us. Let's see. Let's give our usual invitations. Y'all, if you like this episode, go to iTunes, rate us, 
give it a rating. That's the number one way it bumps it up in the iTunes chart. Um, Unchartable for a while, we were like number, we were in the top 10 in Bulgaria and Bhutan. So thank Ooh. you to listeners in Bulgaria, Bulgaria and Bhutan. But uh, if everyone goes on to iTunes and gives us a four, five, six, seven, whatever, however many the maximum star rating there is and writes a little comment that helps our algorithms. And by all means, if you would like to share your experience with us, or maybe you have something in addition to this episode that you'd like to share with us, feel free to email us at magicalmysticaljourneys at gmail.com. Cool. I think that's it. Anything else? No, thank you, ladies. Other than the magnetic sphere. All right. So here's everyone's little PS, your little bonus uh, information. Okay. I'm reading this uh, straight from the NASA website. Also, I'm... I want to give credit where credit is due. So unlike Mercury, Venus, and Mars, Earth is surrounded by an immense magnetic field called the magnetosphere. Generated by powerful dynamic forces at the center of our world, our our magnetosphere shields us from erosion of our atmosphere by solar wind, uh, by erosion and particle radiation from the coronal mass ejections uh, and cosmic rays from deep space. So the magnetosphere plays the role of the gatekeeper, repelling this unwanted energy that is harmful to life on Earth, trapping most of it at a safe distance from Earth's surface uh, in twin donut-shaped zones called the Van Allen belts. So that's what it keeps solar radiation from bombarding us, which would make life on Earth uninhabitable. Um, so that's what that's one of the things the magnetosphere does. Um, so it's pretty cool. And if y'all just Google it, you'll find pretty, pretty neat uh, diagrams. We do know that the magnet, I do know that the magnetosphere has changed in Earth's history. It'll, it'll flip flop, it'll wobble, it'll like sometimes rotate um, as well as the Earth changes. So it's not static. It's also dynamic and living along with the land. You know, when you think about it too, the land hundreds of millions of years ago, like we were all one continent right? Like the Pangea continent, like before, before things spread. So I wonder if some of the energies in the so vortexes cool. are when everything was crammed together, separated. Out. Mm. So isn't everyone not. glad they stay for the little bonus? Yay. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. All right. I think that's it. See everyone soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning Bye. in. Y'all.